You're listening to To Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yu, and I'm Rira Yu. And welcome to the first Books and Boba episode of the new decade. Happy New Year to everybody! Happy 2020, uh, Rira. Yes. How does the new year feel to you right now? It feels. I don't know. I just feel like we're. Uh, Is is it weird that I have a very pessimistic view of 2020, even though we just started the new decade? I mean, I feel like it's pretty on brand for yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be a big year. Yeah, that's gonna it, dictate the next few years of our lives. So I think it's uh, reasonable to feel a little um, apprehensive going into it. Um, I. Choose to feel cautiously optimistic mm -hmm. um, because it couldn't possibly get any worse. Oh, you right? say that, but I I can think of a few ways where it, it could get worse. But I mean, you know, we're here to discuss our December 2019 book club pick, which was a, you know a, a real feel good story to end the year on. I know. So I guess we're just setting the mood uh, for our discussion. We um, you want to start us off with the um, book description. Uh, yes. So, uh, Isma is free. After years of watching out for her younger siblings in the wake of their mother's death, she's accepted an invitation from a mentor in America that allows her to resume a dream long deferred. But she can't stop worrying about Anika, her beautiful, headstrong sister back in London, or their brother Parvez, who's disappeared in pursuit of his own dream to prove himself to the dark legacy of the jihadist father he never knew. When Parvez surfaces half a globe away. Isma's worst fears are confirmed. Then handsome, charismatic Amon enters their sister's lives. Son of a powerful political figure, he has his own birthright to live up to or defy. Is he to be a chance at love, the means of Parvez's salvation? Suddenly, two families' fates are inextricably, devastatingly intertwined. Uh, so, Homefire was longlisted as a candidate for the 2017 Man Booker Prize, and it won the 2018 Women's Prize for Fiction. So, a highly critically acclaimed book and a real feel-good story too. I told people in Goodreads that it was a modern adaptation of Antigone, which is a Greek tragedy, and it was probably going to be pretty dark. See. I forgot what Antigone was about, and I didn't look it up before reading this book. But as I was reading it, I kept um, thinking in my head, "Oh yeah, it's a tragedy." <laughs> it's been a while since we've read a truly tragic tale. I don't know if we read any true tragedies for this book club. I, I guess so. Um, um, I don't know. Unless like, I'm forgetting, we've read a lot. We've read a lot of books. I mean, it was definitely a. Literary fiction novel, yeah. Which I mean, this might be me being like a little bit stereo, like I'm stereotyping here. But literary <laughs> fiction, there's a lot of sad stuff. So <laughs> um, when we read literary fiction novels, like I always expect it to be a lot darker than um, what I usually read. I mean, the thing with Greek tragedies is there is no 
Like you can't go in expecting a happy ending or even a okay ending. I guess uh, with Greek tragedies, um, it's mostly about like the themes, and the characters are pretty much like vehicles to drive those themes. And it's supposed to be kind of like a a platform where the playwright can just ask these very deep questions, philosophical <laughs> questions to the audience and give them something to talk and debate about. And that's pretty much like the main purpose of Greek yeah. tragedies. Like for me, who who majored in dramatic writing and read a lot of plays and also almost minored in uh, Renaissance art history, I read a lot of Greek Roman uh, epics and, and plays. So um, so like going into this book, I was like, okay, I think I know the main beats to the story and I expected to like not be too surprised, but thankfully like there were bits where I was surprised, even though it's like, oh, this is definitely going to happen. <laughs> like the brother, uh, first spoiler of the, of the podcast, like, oh, the brother is definitely going to die because that's the whole thing with Antigone. She, um... For those of you who are not familiar with the uh, Greek play, uh, pretty much uh, Antigone is the daughter of Oedipus, and uh, Oedipus is pretty much her father-slash-half-brother. Because what happens is that Oedipus Oedipus kills his father, the king of Thebes, without knowing that he is his father, and he marries his mother without knowing and uh, Antigone takes place after the Oedipus play. So Oedipus has already gouged out his eyes and died because yeah. this is a tragedy. Um, and his sons, uh, Polynices and, uh, God, I cannot pronounce the name, but Polynices and Idiocles, I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name again, but uh, they fight uh, to, to, to gain control over the throne and... Uh, Polynices is is deemed as a traitor to the state. So King Creon, the uncle who takes over the throne pretty much, uh, he says that Idiocles is a hero, so he will get a proper burial, whereas Polynices is a traitor, so he will not get any burial rights. And anyone who tries to give him burial rights will be condemned to death. And this is a big deal because I don't know if you guys know about anything about Greek culture, but they're really into the underworld stuff. Like, it is a real big deal if you don't bury your loved one. And uh, Antigone, she pretty much breaks King Creon's law and goes to bury, goes to sprinkle uh, dirt on her brother. And pretty much the play is about, like, state law versus moral law. Um, what is allegiance? Is your allegiance to your family and or your state? And what happens when your family member is the enemy of the state? Mm-hmm. So a lot of those themes are in Home Fire. And a lot of the characters hew very, very closely to the original uh, Greek characters. Um, Anika is Antigone in this book. Uh, Ismay is very close to... Uh, Ismene, the uh, sister of Antigone, who refuses to go along with Antigone's plans. And uh, even even Amon, Amon is very similar to the name Hymen, 
who is Antigone's fiance. Mm. So a lot of characters are very parallel to uh, the Greek play. Yeah. Um, but I liked what Camilla did with um, with all of the characters. I thought all of the perspectives, since this book is split into five different POVs, um, I really liked how she structured it. I liked how each character got like their own voice, and I felt like really invested in in like their journey. I think once it turned into Anika's point of view, that's when like my anxiety went up, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh damn! Like things are gonna go down." And um, it, because Anika is so emotional and unpredictable, I was just like, "I don't know what's gonna happen," even though I kind of know what's gonna happen. Um, what about you, Marvin? Since you are not familiar with the play, well, since I haven't you know read Antigone since you know Greek mythology in high school, <laughs> uh, I wasn't as familiar with the beats um it did start to ring some bells after parvesh was killed um in halfway through the story but um, throughout it i was kind of looking at it more from a i guess a fresh lens where i didn't have the beats of the greek tragedy in in my head like looking for those cues you know how sometimes when you're watching adaptations or uh, reboots, right? You kind of you're looking for those familiar beats uh, to satisfy those, you know, neurons that like react to familiar things. Um, so, um, since I wasn't looking for those things, I think I was kind of taking things in one at a time, kind of trying to piece together the story. Um, and as you read, you start to realize like this is all going to end badly mm-hmm. uh, because because of those tensions between family state and even modern society i thought it was really um smart of the author to set this in like modern day uk which is similar to a lot of you know western democracies in the world these days embroiled in this tension between nationalism and um what's the other what's the opposite of nationalism (laughs) But like, you know, individualism, I don't know, like, let's say anti versus pro immigrant stances, right? I thought it was really um, because like Marvin and I are Americans. uh, I am guessing that like you're not completely familiar with with like British politics and I'm pretty. I mean, I follow it. All right. Um, um, I mean, a a lot a lot of what um, the harmat, um, the, the father of the narrative of the last section who is a member of parliament his stance is like aligned with the anti-immigrant stance of like current you know um tory leadership in yeah in the uk right uh this book came out in 2017 and if i remember correctly right after around, brexit right yeah right after brexit and it was also i think it was in the summer of 2017 where there was a terrorist attack uh in 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 the center of london i think it was london bridge um and after that the uh the terrorists they um like the muslim community in england said oh we're not going to give them islamic rights when like when they bury them like they don't deserve it like what they did is not uh in line with our faith and it's like like what they did was horrible and uh they're pretty much like not muslim in our eyes and um you know, that's like very similar to what happens in this book with uh, Parvez's body and how um, he is, quote unquote, repatriated 
uh, to be buried in Pakistan because he is deemed as not British. And that that's like a main uh, theme in the book wh- where it's like, what does it mean to be British? And uh, how how is like, how is that measured by? Is it measured by your assimilation, like your closeness to uh, white society? Also, like the the fact that the uh, Pashas and the lone families are both Muslim families, but they're very, very different on on the spectrum of like of like expressing their faith and uh what it means to identify <laughs> as as a muslim in in britain well i mean this this story works on like there there's several themes going on several questions it's trying to ask um like you mentioned one of the most prominent ones is what does it mean to be a second generation immigrant right what does it mean to be a member of a diaspora in a, another country and I mean, in that aspect, it's very similar to a lot of immigrant stories that we read that are set in the United States as well. What does it mean to be, in this case, like British Asian in 2017, right? Yeah. Um, that was, that was like, it's a very small thing, but I thought that was like interesting because here we say Asian American mm-hmm. and it's almost like Asian is the adjective and American is the noun because it's like we're American. But, you know, our experiences are um, tinged with, like, Asian culture. But in in England, it's, you know, uh, British Asian, British Pakistani. And I thought that was, like, really interesting because it's, like, uh, it's, like, the complete opposite. And I don't know, like, I don't know if it's, like, hyphenated over there, but um, I don't know. It's just, like, a small thing that I noticed. I guess it's it's I guess it's not really hyphenated here anymore neither. Yeah, but it started right? off as like hyphenated. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a grammar thing. No way. Uh-uh. I don't know. It's just like a small thing and uh, like I I really like how the book started off with uh Isma's perspective and especially like the first opening scene where she is being interrogated by uh by pretty much TSA and uh how I think I, I think I think it's in that scene, but she uh kind of like bitterly wonders why um why like when when they mention terrorists on the news who are like who look who are Muslim, they always say like British Muslim or British of Middle Eastern descent or British of Pakistani descent. And it's like, oh, like England will never own up to saying that the terrorist is one of their own, that they're just British terrorists. Yeah, I mean, um, you you see that in the States as well. You know, whenever there is like a tragedy that happens, everyone's holding their breath. Like, who is the, you know, who is the perpetrator going to be? And if it's ever someone of color, you see that community color immediately have to, you know, have to make a statement. I thought the author illustrated pretty well the guilt and the anxiety that people of color face whenever something like this happens and the perpetrator is someone from their community and the repercussions that that that, that has on everyone in that community, right? Because individuals from like a marginalized community have to become like become representatives of that community, right? We see this in, you know, when we talk about representation, like the, the opposite is true, right? If one person of color does a really bad thing, People think, oh, they're all like that, right? And that is, that directly affects 
um, Isma's, you know, um, trip to the United States, where she is held up for hours um, just because of um, who she is, right? And also because of who her father was, right? Yeah. And that um, question of, you know, your loyalty to your, your motherland also, like, extends to the individual level where it's, like, how much, like, how much are you the child of your parents, right? Mm-hmm. Do who your parents are dictate who you will become or who you are, right? Because that's how people saw Isma, Anika, and also Parvesh, right? Which is, like, oh, you're, of course you're like this. Your dad was bad. Yeah. I mean, if you extend that further to just like the class themes of this book, right, where the lone family, um, Eamon's allowed to be kind of a a screw up because he has that privilege. He has the, you know, he has the family connections, whereas the the Pasha family and especially Yzma have this um, constant need to be perfect at all times so that people don't question her loyalties. Yeah. Um, Yzma is definitely more... Um, more of the camp of like we need to be good immigrants. We need to, um, like we need to kind of apologize for whenever someone from our own community does something bad to make us look bad. Um, and it comes from a it comes from a place of fear. Um, and I think it also comes from a very logical place because, um. I like with Anika, like she's studying to be a law student, but at the same time, like she kind of has this um, naivety and idealism of like what justice means. Whereas like Isma, who is like much older than Anika, who who pretty much is like a mother instead of like a sister. um, I think she's lived long enough to see uh, the consequences of speaking up. And yeah. um, and also she was old enough to see like like to learn about her father and how um, and how her father's uh, how her father's like decisions impacted the entire family and how it's just like a domino effect of like grief and stress and anxiety and how it's just like passed down. Yeah, but her also her more conservative views also affect. What happens to Anika and Parvesh? Because by not telling them everything, not telling them about their father, not letting them learn about their family history, it sends her her siblings down a path that ends in tragedy as well, right? And I think, you know, all three siblings kind of represent a different way that people resist in like in cultures that you know oppress minorities. Isma is the assimilationist, right? She. Um, wants to keep her head down, work hard, and work her way out of um, the situation that she's in. She believes that by playing by the rules, by following the rules, she'll, you know, survive. Anika is more like the rebel, right? She's, um, but not like not to the point of extremism. She wants to change things from the inside, right? She thinks, okay, I'm not going to play by the rules. I'm going to ma- I'm going to get to a point where I can make the rules. And that's how we will institute change. And then Parvesh represents someone who because of all these forces that work against minority communities gets pushed to extremism, right? Whether or not he actually wants to incite violence or hurt people, he's forced to do this because he's led to believe he has no choice and he's led to believe that the only way to fight back, the only way to 
institute change is to do it violently. Yeah. Um, with Parvez, I, I like I thought that like his main reason for um, deciding to go to Syria um, was pretty much like it, it was pretty much like he felt like he was being he was stuck behind, whereas everybody else was moving forward. Like Anika, who is his twin, like she's going to law school. Um, like Isma is going to America. They're not living in the house that they grew up in anymore. And he's just kind of stuck at this like uh, minimum wage paying job at the grocery store. And um, Well, not only that, he's also the artist of the family, whereas his sisters are Literally going to become a doctor and a lawyer. Yeah, very pragmatic. And uh, also just like because he didn't really have a father figure in his life, like there is this like he has like this desire to be a quote unquote manly man. Like uh, um, that was like one of the main tactics that Farouk used to recruit Parvez being like, oh, this is like what it means to be a man. And like your father, like he went to battle, he was brave. There's a lot of like um there's a lot of toxic masculinity there. Yeah. And um like Farouk like badgering him, saying like, why are you listening to your sisters? They're women and like you're let you you let them like poison your mind and, and stuff like that. So Yeah, Parvesh is raised like by strong women. And you you see that his Moral center is still pretty intact, even though he goes, he he joins this you know radical terrorist uh, cell, and he eventually realizes that like it's all bullshit, right? All all those tactics. Like, he's able, he's still able to think for himself. Like he isn't totally indoctrinated. There's this really good scene in the middle of his section of the book where he comes to the realization that his father didn't really care about him. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, like, he finds out that, uh, like, the soldiers in that, in that group, uh, they were allowed to go back home for the winter every year. Mm-hmm. And he just, like, his dad just never came to visit them. So uh, that's that's how he ultimately knew that his father didn't care about them. Yeah. And, and he's not really upset about, like, learning that his dad was a bad dad and didn't want to see his family. He, he was more upset and disappointed by the fact that he turned out to be just like his father by abandoning his family without, like, really thinking of the consequences of what they were going to go through. Yeah. And I, I thought a lot about the difference between Parvish and Eamon, where, like, Eamon being coming from a more privileged family, like, upper class, like, family that has political power, he's allowed to kind of be a screw up his entire life kind of just floating through and like getting job offers from his friends at like high paying marketing firms um, and turn out okay whereas Parvesh makes a mistake and wants to atone but he's not allowed to because of who he is and who he who his family is and because his family has no no power mm, yeah well since we brought up Amen, I think like, what did you think about his relationship with uh, Isma, and then his relationship with Anika? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, for the people who did not know that this book was going to be a tragedy and did not know anything about Antigone, like, I bet they 
they were just like, oh man, love triangle. What? I but- thought it might have <laughs> been too, because it took a while for Isma to actually come back into the picture. So you don't really get a confrontation. Um, but I liked how it wasn't really a love triangle, right? Yeah. Well, like uh, with Isma and uh, Eamon's relationship, I thought it was really interesting because um, because Isma is so um, critical of Eamon's father, um, and like the entire time she knows that Eamon is uh, uh, is the son of the home security official, um, like she kind of like. I don't know how else to say it. Like she's very salty, <laughs> and uh, well, she comes. She's very like aloof around him, which he finds irresistible. I guess. I, I guess um, it's very. Um, you get like a very, very crystal clear uh, portrait of him when he asks is- Isma, like, "Oh, so is your hijab like a style <laughs> thing or is it like a muslim thing and she makes a joke that was pretty funny where she's like oh only two people have asked me about like my head covering and they have asked me is this a style thing or is this a chemo thing and <laughs> I, I just thought that part was funny but um yeah like it just shows like how different their muslim backgrounds are pretty much i mean it's, it's a good introduction to the central themes of the story which is you can be from the same community, have two completely different attitudes about the same issues. Well, the main reason why Isma is against uh, Eamon's father, Karamat, Karamat mm-hmm. um, is because when her father was arrested and uh, on his way to Guantanamo, um, her family had asked, like, can you give us updates on where he is? Like, like if he is dead, can we do a funeral? And uh, Karamat was just like, it was just like no like he's a terrorist like why should i why should i even bother and that's like that that's that's like part of the main grudge that she has uh, against that family yeah well and also just karamat's what karamat's done to his that specific community in general their specific neighborhood because he used to be their mp he used to represent their i guess i don't know what the British version of district is probably district. I don't know. Um, and Karamat is, you know, your, <laughs> I, I guess, I don't want to say stereotypical because I don't think they're all like this, but in fiction, a lot of them are like this, like your sleazy politician, right? Where like he convinced the community to vote for him as like, let's put a Muslim man into parliament and I'll represent your interests. And then um, a terrorist attack happened and he had to disavow his Muslim identity. And he did that readily, right? Because they took a picture. Um, there was a picture of him entering a mosque that created scandal. And he had to, like, distance himself from the Muslim community. And after they voted him out, he ran in a white district. And won. And won yeah. based on his, you know, his anti-fundamental Islam beliefs, right? His anti-immigrant beliefs. And he kind of became um, that kind of candidate for them. Uh, and it was interesting that when Isma first met Eamon, she made a, I guess, a mental note, because it's in the narration, that it's Eamon spelled the Irish way, not the Pakistani way, to, you know, make him sound more British. Because Eamon's also a, a mixed race. Like he's he's half white, half um, Pakistani. And he was raised in a way to fully assimilate, like to have nothing to do with their original cultures and community. Um 
which leads to some interesting tensions in in his section of the book when he starts to you know really pursue this romance with Annika. Mm. Yeah, like uh, with uh, with Annika, she she um, when she finds out that Isma told the um, like told security about uh, Parvez and how uh, he went to go join ISIS. Uh, she's like you, like you betrayed us. Like don't, don't even try to like come see me. Like you're not my sister anymore. Um, and then like she embarks on this relationship with uh, Amon because she's like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to bring my brother home. Whereas with Isma, like, <laughs> like she, she could have gone down down that route, like knowing that like he's the son of Karamat and he could possibly bring her brother home but she she did not take that path and and Anika like calls her out on it later being like oh you should have you, like why are you criticizing me this is what you should have done and um i thought that was like i don't know did you agree with Isma's decision to tell security about Parvez i mean i don't know what I would have done in that, in that situation. Yeah, it's a very difficult situation. <laughs> um, I don't, like, whether or not I agree with her, which I don't know whether or not I do, I understand where she's coming from, where she's been disappointed by, like, people like her father her entire life. So given the choice between her brother and her sister, she chose her sister. I mean, assigning blame to anybody is tough i think the person who probably has the most blame in this entire story is karamut um as course, the yeah. person in power who chose to do nothing with it or chose to actively antagonize with it whereas isma sure she had some power but it's not at the level where she can actually affect anything and so in that situation like someone would probably use that power to protect what you have left than to fight something that you'll probably lose and I don't even know if her reporting her brother did anything because when Parvish was gunned down, they still went after her family. No matter what she did to kind of prove herself as a good, quote-unquote, good Muslim, right, they still went after her family. And during the fallout after Parvish is killed and uh, her sister's relationship with Eamon comes to light, Yzma kind of doubles down on her, like, keep your head down stance, right? We will say whatever they want us to say to protect ourselves from anything in the future. And that, again, like everything in this story leads up to the final chapter where everything just blows up. Like, literally. I know that some people were, uh, like, disappointed by the ending. I mean, it's a tragedy. I mean, it's a tragedy. <laughs> but I guess, like, a, a lot of the complaints that I've read on Goodreads and in other reviews is that uh, it just, like, they're like, oh, it just kind of came out of nowhere and it was so sudden. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I, I like I felt like it was it was a pretty good ending. It was a very cinematic ending. And, um, you know, it matches with, you know, the Greek tragedy. And, yeah, uh, because in the in the Greek tragedy, um, when the king decides, all right, I'm gonna pardon the the brother, it's too late, right? Um, Antigone hangs herself, and the the king's son um, kills himself because of his love, and so that's essentially what happened, right? Um, the prince chose love over family, and 
What did you think about like I, I like I I kind of have like mixed mixed feelings about it, but like Anika like manipulating uh Eamon into like a relationship with her and her pretty much saying like oh yeah like I wanted him uh to be at a state where he would do anything for me so that I can ask him uh to rescue my brother and not you know not question it and uh just like the question of like oh was it like actual love or was it just all pretense and i mean it goes back to who has power and not only who has power but what that power what options that power opens up i mean you see that illustrated later in the book where um Eamon, as harmut's son has a way out from association with a family of terrorist ties whereas um Anika's family has no out. They're, they become pariahs because of their association. And so in that situation, what other choice did she have? Like her number one drive was to bring her brother home because she had been talking with them over, I guess it was, was it Skype? It was, or, it was Skype or WhatsApp or. Yeah. Yeah. And so she knew that he wanted to come home. He was, he like regretted his, his decision. He admits that he made a mistake and he's willing to face the consequences, but he wants to come home to his family. Um, so to make that happen, yeah, like I mean, there she, were there was no other option in her uh, mind at that in, time. In her mind, yeah. there were definitely options. She chose to do whatever it takes to uh, to seduce uh, the uh, the politician's son. Um, that's why I say I have very mixed feelings about it because it's just like like Anika's point of view is like if you love someone, like like. It's unconditional love. You would do whatever it takes. Where it's with like Isma's point of view, it's just like if you have no power to change anything, because you know it's it's like it's Amen. Like, what can he possibly do? He is he is like a trust fund dropout. <laughs> um, so so it, I don't know. Like I, I mean, it's the same question, right? Do you agree with? Do you agree with what she did? And like, it's hard to agree or disagree because. Um, I guess it's not so but, much about agreeing or disagreeing. But you see where the thought came from, right? Because what other what other options like the other only other option is to just like not do anything. Right? Like it's like do you, would you do what Isma did, would you do what Anika did? And both options are equally bad. It still hurts the family no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, cuz like with Anika's decision, it like affected the entire family, even her family in Pakistan where they're like, "Oh, we have to like it's our responsibility to bury your terrorist brother and now everybody is dragged into it and now like all of the good work that we've built up to be like good citizens is now muck because of a rash decision that you made." And uh, with Isma, it's just like because you did nothing, because you decided to protect uh, the family that you have, you abandoned uh, your brother. So either like either sides, there's not really a, a correct way to go about uh, about like resolving um, the issue on like how to protect your family, <laughs> because either option is like terrible yeah and that that um that conflict is also mirrored in the relationship between Eamon and his father uh, both families are wrestling with loyalty to family loyalty to love and loyalty to the state 
right? Like, and loyalty to what you feel is right. Yeah, because even like at the at the end, like Karamat's wife Terry was just like, was like, do you see what you are doing? You're preventing a family from burying their own. Like, Parvez is dead. Like, there's no, like there's no harm in like letting his family just grieve. And that a lot of people in the country agrees with this viewpoint, but he's like so like narrow minded that he's just like no, like. Well, I mean, a big part of that is karma. He has grand ambitions. He wants to become the first、uh, Pakistani Muslim prime minister of the United Kingdom, and so he's playing. He's playing the game, right? The the Game of Thrones or the House of Cards or whatever. And he's you know he somehow. Positioned himself to become Home Secretary, which is basically Homeland Security, right for for the UK, which is pretty big as a Pakistani Muslim. He like his position is what I guess in some way Isma wants to aspire to, which is someone who people like on paper can say that guy is British, that guy is British, like Britain first. And I mean, even his story, you see that that's never the case. Like people are always going to be prejudiced against him because of his background, because of who he is. Like people will always like find every small way to say, "See, that guy's actually more Muslim than British," or that guy is more Muslim than like British, more British than Muslim, and like there's yeah, like both sides are. Criticizing him for and, different reasons, and he's willing to like abandon his community, like his Muslim community, to、um, to appeal to his white constituents because that's how, that's his path to power. And in his mind, he's justifying is that don't you see? I'm making it better for everyone. If I become the, rep- the representative of the Muslim community, people will accept us, and that's his whole you know, like call it delusion. Or his aspirations, but that's why he does what he does. I lost my <laughs> shit when he like did that speech at、yeah. at the school where he was just like, oh, like everybody, like pretty much what he was saying, like everybody should dress like British people, like everybody <laughs> should conform. Don't dress to like to like express your individualism because that's like. Making people think that you're the other or whatever, and then it started trending on Twitter, and I'm just like, oh. Like. And that single-minded pursuit of that power loses him his family. His son is mad at him for making his, you know, his fiance suffer. His wife is mad at him for using their son for political gain, and he does. He 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 leaks the relationship between Amon and Anika to exonerate his son, but also to further cement his. Position as like a tough on terrorist home secretary, right? Yeah, he also brings the question of like, like, oh, is citizenship a privilege or is it like something that, like, his stance on it is like, it is a privilege to be a British citizenship. People should not have dual citizenships, and people should have to choose Britain first, and、uh, that citizenship shouldn't be like. A thing that is automatically given to you because of where you were born, and yeah, it is very much yeah, an anti-immigrant stance. He's your "I could do it, why can't you?" Like literally, the model minority poster child of of the story. <laughs> 
and yeah, like he, his entire, like his perspective, I get why we ended on it because it's from that, that we get to the tragedy of the last chapter, but he's not a sympathetic character at all. I guess again, you, you get why he does it based on his drive, but you don't, it's, it's hard to agree with it when you know the whole story. And I think that's why this book really works because it's because you see the situation from a lot of different perspectives. And I thought the most um, interesting thing that the story does is give you Parvesi's perspective from before to after his, you know, his indoctrination into the Islamic State. Right. Whereas, like, from Isma's perspective, he is, like, someone who she lost. He has been corrupted, and there's no getting him back. So it's better to forget about him. And then from Karma's perspective, he is, like, someone who's irredeemable. He made a mistake that you can't come back from. And it doesn't matter why he did it. Like, he is now the enemy. Whereas from Parvesh's experience, you see that he... You see the reasons why, again... It's hard to agree with what he decides on, his decisions, but you see how he came to that point and you see that he does regret it, right? Like just because he made this decision doesn't mean his whole entire moral center is corrupted. And fundamentally, he's still a good kid who grew up around a lot of really strong women who has like a strong idea of what right and wrong is and and wants to ask for forgiveness, but that'll be given to him. Yeah, I had to keep reminding myself, like, oh, like, he's 19. And uh, this is something that happens to so many young uh, young men who gets recruited to uh, ISIS from different countries. And um, just, like, the naivety of it all with, like, Farouk showing him pictures and, and like, him trying to, like, like hi- him saying, like, oh, like, your dad was, like, your dad was like a great warrior, and then as soon as they get there, he's just like, "Oh, bye!" Like, yeah, like, I have a wife, I have kids, I'm in the front lines, and he just like never sees Farouk again until like he tries to escape, and he finds out that he was like he was a test case for like Farouk's cousins who are being trained as recruiters. Everyone's still manipulating the truth to get what they want. Yeah, and like, that I- doesn't change. Yeah, like reading uh, Parvez's chapter, I was just like, oh, this is like the real tragedy. Like (laughs) if it was just like if his perspective was just not there and it was just uh, uh, everyone else's perspectives after he died, like I feel like it wouldn't have been as powerful and everyone's perspective wouldn't have been as strong. I kind of wish wish that uh, Parvez's chapters were a little bit longer because it does like jump uh jump from time to time of him like before recruitment after recruitment and then him trying to escape i kind of wish there was more on when he was going through training just to see like how horrible it was and how he was able to endure it but yeah like reading parts of this chapter like i like it was it was really heartbreaking. Like it was more heartbreaking than uh me reading like about like Anika going to Pakistan and just like grieving uh over his body and saying like oh like let me take my brother home. Like I felt more heartbroken reading uh Parvez's chapters because I was just like oh this this is just a kid and yeah. and just like even like the anecdotes of um um them saying like oh we're going to recruit like brides for like the people in, yeah. in our group and i was just like oh my god these poor girls <laughs> and well 
let's talk about now the real bad guy of the story, which is the 24-hour media cycle oh, God, and social media. Felt triggered the entire time. I'm just like, oh, bad journalism. Just terrible. <laughs> just terrible. I mean, a big chunk of Anika's section was literally a Twitter feed. <laughs> Twitter feed and just like uh, tabloid articles yeah, like and uh, and, and um, reporters calling her Knickers as a nickname. Uh, it's slut shaming. Yeah, you hear a lot about like British tabloid journalism, how like how terrible they are, especially when it comes to race, right? Like how. Like, you know, you hear stories about how Meghan Markle is being bullied just because... She's mixed race. Yeah. She's, you know, she's black. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's... It's England. <laughs> yeah. And how that forces the hand of a lot of people, right? Because of those forces where if someone even comes out as, like, um, their neighbor, I forgot her name, but she defended Parvish. Gladys. Um, yeah, Gladys. And then basically she got dragged on Twitter by, like horrible netizens those forces that cause people like isma and people like karma to do what they do right because they can't be seen as sympathizers like sympathizing with a victim who is being portrayed as the enemy and parvish being a muslim person who has all these basically all these strikes against them right he did leave home to join isis his father was a extremist and his sister was having a relationship with the home secretary's son. It all just paints the Pashas as this like diabolical, manipulative terrorist family. And so there was no room for anyone to publicly sympathize with them and empathize with them. It's very sad. Yeah. I do want to like share one quote. And this is when Anika had uh, taken uh, Parvis's body and put it in the park. And she's like saying uh, she's doing like a speech in front of the camera. Uh, and she says, in the stories of wicked tyrants, men and women are punished with exile. Bodies are kept from their families, their heads impaled on spikes, their corpses thrown into unmarked graves. All these things happen according to the law, but not according to justice. I am here to ask for justice. And that's pretty much like the book in a nutshell. Yeah. I personally thought like the whole like repatriate uh, Parvez's body in Pakistan and and like the and Karamat saying like, oh, he'll be with his family and like he'll be with his country. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, like he's British. He like grew yeah. up here and like and like just because you're, you know, it's like those stories of adoptees who are sent back to their home country, even though they've never been there. They don't have the language skills. They don't have any family left. And how is that justice, right? Yeah. I mean, in the end, I don't think anyone really got justice. You know, I mean, what is justice? Some really? people, yeah, some people can say that karma got what he deserved, but did his son and did Anika get what they deserved? You know, like in the end. It's a tragedy, so no one really gets what they deserve in terms of, like, a happy ending. But do they really get what they deserve from, like, a karmic perspective either, right? Because you can say Karamak got what he deserved for being such a dick. But is that true? (laughs) It's tragic because it's with young people. You know, 19 is such a young age. And it's like you – like, who hasn't made mistakes when they're 19 years old or, like, in their early 20s? And, like, think about, like – you know how like people on Twitter uh 
up, leading up to 2020, they're like, oh, like a decade ago, starting like when I was like in 2010, like this is what <laughs> I was uh, doing with my life. And now in like 2019, 2020, this is where I am in life. Like, think about that. Like, you change so much within a decade. And you are so, you are possible to changing so much in that time period. And just to have like, like, two 19-year-olds just die so tragically without, like, being able to be the people that they could have been or meant to have been. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, cut short. And I think that makes the book a lot more tragic. <laughs> yeah. I am really curious, uh, because we're Americans and we're reading a book that, like, takes place in England and... uh uh, has like English policies. I'm pretty sure we're missing a lot of like nuances. Uh, so for the people who are in our Goodreads group who are part of Britain, I would really like to hear your uh, opinions. I know that there are some of you in like lurking about. So please share on our discussion thread. Yeah. And I would say even though this takes place in a country that we don't live in, Riru and myself, I thought the portrayal of the immigrant experience was pretty spot on. And I think this is something that diaspora writers, I guess, innately know how to do because it's our lived experience. But even like when Eamon was describing how his father would become a different person when he visited his relative's house and was able to speak Urdu freely and like be amongst his people, even though his mother like hated it. Like, I feel like all diasporans have that side, you know? Like, when you're with, like, your parents and, like, your family and pretty much, like, the Asian community, you do act, like, a certain way. And then when you're with, like, you know, your your friends, like, you, you'll act a different way. Uh, for me personally, like, my Korean is not that great. So, um, like, I, I guess, like, when I'm with, uh, like, my cousins or whatever or or like family friends, I tend to be a lot meeker, mm-hmm. and uh, even even the way I talk is like very different. Whereas like when I talk in English, I'm like much more forthcoming, <laughs> and uh, and like I feel I feel like everyone has like everyone has like their own mask when it comes to blending in with with like your birth country people. Yeah. I don't know. That was not very articulate, but I think you guys know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this whole book was about people thinking they're doing either the right thing or the best thing for either themselves or their loved ones and everything going bad because of it. And, you know, that's what tragedies are all about. The pride before the fall, right? Then I guess all of our lives are tragedies, Marvin. The world is tragedy. I know. Well, that'll do it for our discussion of Home Fire by Camilla Chomsky. And for uh, our first book of 2020, I actually let Marvin pick out the book. So, Marvin, what are we reading <laughs> for January 2020? This is a lot of pressure because I've never chosen a book before. That's not true. Our, that cannot be true. Club. I don't think I did. It's always been, hey, Rira, what are you reading? <laughs> um I, I have, like, come up with, like, a list, f- and then we did, like, pick together, but I guess I did, like, pre-select <laughs> choices, so I guess I have always picked 
the books. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but to kick off 2020, we'll be reading The Three-Body Problem by Sushin Liu, um, translated by Ken Liu, who was the author of our past book club pick, The, um, the Grace, Grace of Kings. Kings. Yeah. And this is a book that I've been wanting to read for a while, but just haven't found the time or um, gumption to start on my own. So what better way than to uh, use this book club to force me to read this book? And um, it's been it's been out for a couple of years now, and it's been lauded as a really great science fiction story, but also a great um, example of a science fiction that's from a more Chinese lens that is different than the way like Western writers approach science fiction, which has been uh, the lens that we've been reading um, for our book club for the past couple couple years as well. So I'm really interested to kind of see what all the hubbub's about and to experience um, the book. And Ken Liu, um, the translator, has been um, given a lot of props for his translation of the text. Yeah, it's been a while yeah. since we read a book that was translated. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh... I think the last one was uh, Murakami, right? Yeah, that was yeah Murakami. <laughs> that was way early in 2019. Yeah. So I, I hope that you join us for the discussion of a uh, three body problem. Um, it is a semi long book. I believe it is around 400 pages. Mm. Um, but we will get through it. <laughs> <laughs> We had a good break with this one. I think Home Fire was only what? Three? It was around 250 pages. Yeah. Yeah. Which is relatively short um, for our book club. Um, so it's, it's, it's a nice change of, it was a nice, um, I won't say breezy, but it wasn't really breezy. It, it was a nice uh, like brisk, change of pace. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially for the month filled with holidays. It was good to read something that. Um, you can finish in a couple hours. Yeah. And uh, don't worry, when it's February, we will read something much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rira, I look forward to another great year of Books and Boba with you for 2020. Um, we have a lot of great stuff coming in. Um, Rira and I both have made resolutions to bring you even more content this coming year. And we already have several author interviews lined up. Um, over the next few weeks and we're definitely going to be bringing you um, more of those as the year goes on as well as other cool stuff hopefully hopefully yeah <laughs> uh, well Rira happy new year happy new year and uh, we'll see you all next time on Books and Boba bye 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 everyone thanks for listening to Books and Boba this episode was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and produced and edited by Marvin Yue this podcast was recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studios located within the Visual Communications offices in downtown Los Angeles. You can learn more about Visual Communications and their programs such as the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival by going to their website at bcmedia.org. Thanks also to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts that Books and Boba is a proud member of. You can learn more about our fellow Potluck Podcast by checking out the website podcastpotluck.com. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, 
family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallspruce.com. Peace. Peace.